Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Candeo. And uh, this fall has been great for our family as we've been preparing to plant a church. And for those of us, for those of you who are going with us, it's been a really awesome fall for us. Actually, yesterday we were up in Mankato uh, with our second vision trip. We had another vision trip with a group of people back in November, uh, just a trip to explore the community and to consider how to support or potentially move with us. And between those two trips, we were able to take 96 people over the course of this fall to explore and consider moving to Mankato or supporting our work. So we have been incredibly encouraged uh, as we've been preparing for that. Out of those 96, we'll be following up with conversations about next steps for them. Uh, Some of those, like I've said, are just in kind of that support. They want to pray for us, encourage us, give to to the work. But the majority of those 96 are actually considering moving with us to help us start a church. We'll start that church here in the fall of 2024, uh, and we're, we're really grateful. So we already have 23 people committed to moving with us here this summer to Mankato. Uh, If you're wondering, this is probably the most common question I get is when is your family moving? Uh, We are moving in June, so we'll finish the school year here. So we have another semester with you all, uh, which we're thankful for. Well, as Amanda read and you heard, we are in Luke 1 this morning. So if you haven't turned there yet, uh, go ahead and turn there. We're looking at the song of Mary. Let me ask you a fun question. What is the greatest concert you've ever been to? So the first time I was hanging out with Jake Herring, our teaching pastor, he actually asked me this question. It was before we moved to Cedar Falls, we're sitting on the back deck of Cody's house. And he said, Stephen, what's the best concert you've ever been to? And I scored big points with Jake in this moment. I said, John Mayer, that is the greatest concert I've ever been to. And Jake's eyes got big. and It was probably the most excited. He's like, you know, kind of a reserved individual. Um, But he got very excited. His eyes got big. He's like, John Mayer, me too. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, If you know Jake, John Mayer is his favorite artist. And so right there, I think like I won with Jake and he still loves me and it's fantastic. Although sometimes it's hard to tell with Jake, you know, he just kind of stares at you and you wonder what he's thinking and you start to get insecure and it's okay. Like we, (laughs) it's fantastic. Um, John Mayer, greatest concert. I'd still say that today. Greatest concert I've ever been to. John Mayer is probably not my favorite artist. I love his music, (laughs) Taylor Swift. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Isla and I, my six-year-old, we are loving, we are obsessed with the Taylor Travis story. She comes to me, she's like, dad, our favorite celebrity and our favorite football player are dating. I was like, it's amazing. And she's like, it is. So we're we're thrilled with that. Just couldn't be happier in the Jones house for... uh, they have all sorts of names for that relationship, but we'll just Taylor and Travis. Um, okay, that's, okay, favorite artist, there we go. Um, but John Mayer, it was an incredible experience. I mean, he is an amazing musician, an incredible guitarist, an amazing vocalist, and it was just incredible getting to be at this concert and listen. At one point, he did his song Neon completely by himself, acoustic. It's just a, it was one of the greatest musical experiences I had ever had. But we all can relate to that. We love going to concerts. And maybe you don't because you don't like the crowds, but we all love music. It's one of the universal things about being a human that we love music. It's, there's something about music that captivates us. There's something about it that draws us in. And this is true even from infancy. 
Jace, our six-month-old, probably a month ago, he is our giggliest baby out of all of our kids. Like, he is so easy to make laugh. And I'm trying to rock him at night because he's like fussy in his crib. So I get him, I rock him, and I start softly singing to Jace. And I'm just, you know, singing a lullaby, and he just begins to belly laugh. He's just like laughing so loud, just giggling at my singing, which you might too. Um, But he's just singing it so loud. Natalie like eventually peeks into like, are you tickling him? Like, what are you doing to our baby? Like he's trying to sleep. But I'm just singing to him, he's laughing. But this is just a, a response that we have to music. There's something about music that moves us in a way that nothing else can. And it's this dynamic of song and music that we're going to see this morning in Mary's song. That as we're walking through this song, we're going to see that it wasn't enough for Mary and her response to this news that she received to just talk about it, to just know it. She had to sing about it. That as she learned that she was going to be the mother of this Messiah, she couldn't help herself but sing. And so we're going to look at this song and see how we also are moved by the truths of God to sing. And we're going to see three things from her song this morning. First, her response. Second, her joy. And third, her God. Her response, her joy, and her God. So look at verse 46. Let's see her response. So the context of this, as we've been walking through the Advent series, at this point, Mary has received this vision from the angel Gabriel that she was going to be with child through the power of the Holy Spirit, that she was going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And so she responds to this news. And how does she respond? Look at verse 46. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary receives this vision from Gabriel that she'd be the mother of the Messiah and is filled with joy and wonder. And it's interesting. What is her response to this incredible news? It's to sing. It's to sing. This news is so big and wondrous. All she can do is sing. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This news is so great, it has to be sung about. She bursts into song, praise and rejoicing. At this point in the year, we are all in on Christmas music. Like Thanksgiving is come and gone. It is Christmas music, Christmas carols all the time. And I was thinking about that this week, like, why are there so many Christmas carols? And, you know, like just there's a lot of Christmas carols. Uh, Why is that? Well, it's because the joy of Christmas is so great, it has to be sung about. John Piper is a pastor, and and he said that singing has a unique power to awaken and express deep affections. That the truths of God are so good, it's not enough to just talk about them, they must be sung. That singing has this unique ability to awaken and express our affections for God and the beauty of the truths that we know about him. So what are we doing when we sing at Christmas? What are we doing when we sing corporately? Well, some of your translations in verse 36 have a different word than praise. Some of your translations will say, my soul magnifies the Lord, 
What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, if you think about a telescope, if you sh- like point that telescope at Mars, what are you doing? You're taking something that from our perspective looks very small. And by magnifying it, you're beginning to see what it really is like. You're beginning to get a perspective of just how big, just how huge Mars is. When you magnify the Lord in worship, what are you doing? Well, for so many of us, like throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our life, we have this kind of speck view of God. Like he's a speck. We might think of him on Sundays. We might think of him every once in a while, but for the most part in our life, he's just this speck. But what happens when we sing? It's like a telescope. We begin to become aware as we sing of just how great God is. We begin to see him really as he is. The same way Mars is a speck, when you put a telescope on it, you begin to see it's true, like how it really is. That's what we're doing when we sing. When we magnify the Lord, we are seeing just how awesome, just how wonderful he is. Mary is blown away at this news. God is going to use you to bring the Savior into the world. She's so amazed she sings. So here's the challenge to all of us from Mary. Would we be so captivated, so filled with wonder, gripped by the news of Christmas that God took on flesh, came into this world to be our savior, that we would sing? Would would we be like so overwhelmed at this incredible news this year that we would just, the only thing we could do in response is sing? And like Mary, not just singing with our mouths, but singing with our souls, singing with our spirits, praising the greatness of the Lord, our spirits rejoicing in God, our Savior. In response to the good news of Christmas, our Savior is born. Would we be a singing church? Overwhelmed by this news. That's her response. Second, her joy. Look at verse 48. Here's the next part of the song. It says, because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is blessed. She hears the news and she's filled with joy. First, she sings just out of response to the news and the greatness of God and his salvation. And now she sings that that God would choose to use her. She's blown away. I'm going to be used by God. Why is that so amazing to her? Well, she says, because he's looked and found favor on me, someone of a humble condition, his servant. I'm a humble servant and God has chosen to use me. She can't believe it. That she'll be used by God for such an incredible task to be the mother of the Messiah. At this point, Mary would have been a teenager. Her and Joseph were poor. We know that because when they go to dedicate Jesus, they offer two turtle doves. That was the lowest tier offering you could use in the Jewish religion to dedicate a child. Mary was nobody in the eyes of the world. She's this poor teenager, and yet God looked at her in her humble condition and used her. On the outside, In the world's eyes, Mary was insignificant. 
but God chose to use her. And even though in the world's eyes she was insignificant, actually through her song, we begin to get a glimpse into her inward beauty, this incredible woman that she was. This song reveals something about Mary, and it reveals that she was a woman of the word. She knew the Old Testament. She knew her Bible. You see, throughout this song, what we'll see is that there is Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference. She's quoting Psalms and referencing prophets. She knew her Bible. So when she's filled with joy at this news of being the mother of the Messiah, what overflows out of her heart? It's scripture. One commentator counts 15 Old Testament references in just this one song. Mary knew her Bible. She delighted in it. She loved it. She cherished it. Mary was a woman of the world, word. She didn't hold positions of power and influence in the world, but she had a quiet power, the quiet power of character and character formed by delighting in God's word, meditating on it, memorizing it, so that when God used her, what overflowed? Scripture. There's a couple applications for us in this. First, would we be people of the word? Men and women who know and cherish God's word. You might not have position and influence in this world, but what if you had a quiet power? The quiet power of being someone anchored in scripture. Second, I love that Mary's song is so biblical and saturated in scripture. And I genuinely just wanna honor Dalton right now. Dalton is a man of God's word. Dalton is our, our worship leader here and he does an incredible job selecting songs. And he loves scripture. And I've just seen him, how he picks the songs that we sing. He is so serious about which songs we sing and that they are coming out of scripture and that they're saturated with scripture, that they're biblical, that they're sound theologically. So Dalton, thank you so much for your serious consideration of the songs we sing. And the entire worship team, production team, you lead us so well in singing the truths of God. Here's something that will probably happen. At the end of your life, I can almost guarantee that you're gonna forget this sermon. Like when you're at the end of your life, you're not gonna remember December 3rd, 2023, Stephen Jones' sermon. I almost promise you, you'll forget this. But what you won't forget is thank you, Jesus, for the blood. You're not gonna forget the hymns and songs that have been engraved in your heart over the years of singing them. You'll remember those songs. You're gonna forget this sermon. And so we're so grateful for Dalton and Anna and the team that seriously considers the truths that we sing, that they're out of scripture. So thank you guys. Mary is overwhelmed and blown away that she is being used by God, that he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. And she's just amazed that she gets to be used by him in this story. I came across a video this weekend that was one of my favorite videos of the entire year. You may have seen it. It has gone uh, viral of some sorts, I believe. Uh, but it's this video of a five-year-old and he gets in the car and he's so excited to tell his mom that he got his assignment for the Christmas pageant. And he's like, mom, 
They told us what our role is in the nativity story this week. And I have a classic role and he's British. And so it is the cutest thing ever. Uh, I'm not going to do a British accent. Um, and so the mom goes, a classic role. And he's like, yeah, classic role. And she's like, awesome. Like, well, are you Joseph? And he's like, no. She's like, are you one of the three wise men? No. And she's like, but it's a classic role. And he's like, it's a classic role. She's like, all right. Um, what is it? What's your role? I'm a door holder. <laughs> and she's like, a door holder? That's amazing. Like, who are you going to hold doors for? He's like, Joseph and Mary. I'm door holder number three. I get to hold the door. And she's like, that is amazing, buddy. She's like, what an awesome role. She's like, well, what was your reaction when they told you what your role would be? And this is the best part of the, of the video. He goes, I was like, Door holder three, get in there, let's go, yes. <laughs> Door holder number three, get in there, let's go, yes. What a great line. But I just love that. Why is this kid so excited to be door holder number three? Because he gets to be a part of an amazing story. And so being door holder number three doesn't matter to him. Why? Because he just gets to be in the story. Here's Mary, humble condition a servant. And she's like, I get to be a part of the story. I get to be used by God. And Mary did have an incredible role, but that's not what made her so grateful and full of joy. What made, she's just like, I get to be used by God in this incredible story. What if we had the same joy that God for millennia after millennia has been writing a story of salvation and he's inviting you into it. First as his child through faith and salvation in Christ. And then as you're adopted into that family, he gives you a role. And what if we, like this five-year-old, were just overjoyed. Door holder number three, get in there. Let's go. Yes. Like, what if that was our response? Just, oh my word, God has looked at the, at the condition of his humble servant and he's chosen to use me. You see, God is inviting you into his story. Well, how? How do I get into his story? Well, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he lived the perfect life, died the death we deserved, and rose again victorious over the grave. And when you receive that good news in faith, you receive forgiveness and salvation. And then you receive an invitation to be used by God in this story of him redeeming a people for his own possession. Would you be filled with joy to be a part of that story? Would you be filled with joy just to get close enough to hold the door, you know? This is her joy. Third, her God. The song now shifts. And she begins to focus her attention to the greatness of God and his mighty acts. And first she starts with who God is, and then she moves to what he has done. So here's who God is. And she describes him with three words here in verses 49 and 50. Here's what she says. Because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. As Mary begins to sing about God, she references these three attributes. He's the mighty one. He is holy and he is merciful, the mighty one. Here's what she's saying when she calls him the mighty one, that God is all powerful. There is nothing beyond him. There is nothing that he can't accomplish. 
He created the world with his speech. He has orchestrated all of humanity throughout the ages to execute his plan of salvation. There is nothing that God the Mighty One can't accomplish, including a miraculous virgin birth. Mary, in her vision with Gabriel, said to Gabriel, how can I have a child when I've never known a man? And here's what Gabriel says in verse 35. Look back there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God is mighty enough and powerful enough to accomplish the miracle of the virgin birth. And you might be thinking to yourself like, wow, you actually believe that in 2023. How could anyone still believe that? I do. And I'm convinced that Jesus's conception was a miracle. And in all honesty, the virgin birth is not that big of a hangup for me. Now, let me explain why it's not. Because I, I am sympathetic to you that might be like, man, this is a myth, it's ancient, all of that. But let me explain to you why it's not that big of a hangup for me. If you would call yourself a Christian, then I'm assuming that you would say, I believe God created the entire world and that Jesus rose from the dead. If God was powerful enough to do those two things, then the virgin birth honestly does not seem like that like big of a stretch. Like, I believe that God could create everything out of nothing. I believe that he could raise Jesus over the dead, raise Jesus out of the grave, defeating death and hell. I don't believe he could be conceived miraculously. It's like, if I believe these two things and accept that, the virgin birth does not seem that far of a stretch. And it's essential. It's an essential doctrine. You see, the virgin birth was necessary so that God, Jesus would have both a God nature and man nature and so that he would remain sinless so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you are a Christian in this room, the virgin birth is not honestly that hard to accept if you accept the other miracles of scripture. Now you might be saying, well, I'm not a Christian and I don't believe God created everything out of nothing. I definitely don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. So of course I don't believe in this virgin birth. It seems silly to me. Well, what I'd say is, that's what I would expect. I would expect you to think that this story sounds silly. If you're not a Christian and you don't believe in miracles, of course the Christmas story sounds silly to you. Like, that doesn't offend me. Like, yeah, it does sound silly if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead and all that. Here's what I would say, though. Here would be my encouragement. Before you deny Christianity because you're hung up on the virgin birth, seriously wrestle with the existence of God and the reality of the resurrection. Wrestle with those two things first. Before you deny Christianity, deny it because you either believe there is no God or because you believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if you come to find that there is a God and Jesus rose from the dead, then I think you'll find that the virgin birth is not as hard to accept as you might think now. So Mary first celebrates that God is the mighty one. Then the second descriptor she uses, she says, his name is holy. Not only is God powerful, but his name is holy. Holy literally means set, the set apart one or other than, that God is completely in his own category. He's completely separate and other than from the rest of creation. But not only that, not only is he mighty and holy, what did we see in verse 50? He's merciful. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He is mighty, holy, and merciful. I love that threefold description of God. He's merciful from generation to generation. That means that he has always been merciful. He's not changed. He's always been a God of love and goodness and grace and patience. 
And yet, his mercy is not limitless. Who is his mercy directed towards? Those who fear him. You see that in verse 50? He shows mercy to generation to generation and on those who fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to humbly stand in awe and reverence at the greatness and power and glory of God. And so to those who fear the Lord, his mercy is on them. To those who reject the Lord, his wrath and justice. So why does Mary sing? Why does she magnify the Lord and praise and rejoice? First, because of who he is, mighty, holy, merciful. But second, because of what he's done. Look at verse 51. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. The arm of God is this common metaphor throughout the Old Testament that God uses to refer to his strength and power. So you'll hear things like God's outstretched arm. And Mary says he's done a mighty deed with his arm. And what is that deed? Look at 51 again. He has scattered the proud because of their, their, the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. What is the first thing he's done? Well, first he's scattered, toppled, sent away the proud and arrogant of this world. Those who use their position of power for selfish gain and are self-reliant and absorbed by riches. Mary in this song is not saying that it's wrong in and of itself to be in a position of power or to have riches. What's wrong is to be proud and arrogant and self-dependent on those things. And Mary is singing that the first thing that God has done is scattered the proud and arrogant of our world. He isn't impressed by their positions of power and influence and wealth. Instead, what did he do? Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, his promise to Israel, and brought the Messiah in the world. All the way back in Genesis 12, God is looking at the chaos and darkness of our world and he selects Abraham and his family and gives them a promise. He says, I'm gonna make you a great nation and through your family, you will bless the world. And right there in Genesis 12, we get the promise that there would be a Messiah coming through this family that would bless the world, that would save us. And God sustained that promise all through the Old Testament. And now, 2,000 years later, he is fulfilling that promise. He has helped his, Israel, his servant. He's remembered his mercy and he has fulfilled his promise. And he didn't do it through the wisdom and power of the world, but instead through the unexpected and ordinary people. Through Mary, a humble servant. And what is this great promise and great deed he's accomplished? Our salvation. In Isaiah 9, it's a famous Christmas passage. We get a prophecy of this coming Messiah. And in verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. In verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. God gave us a people living in darkness, the light of Jesus. Jesus was born 
And then he experienced the darkness of the cross so that we could have the hope and light of heaven. So that we could have a savior. This is the great deed God accomplished with his arm. And Mary's anticipating it. She says he's fulfilled his promise that he's made to Abraham, that he made throughout the law and the prophets, and a child will be born who will be our savior, the son of God. Her response her joy, and her God. Would we slow down and be amazed at the work of God? Would we be amazed by his greatness? That he is the mighty one, holy and merciful. That he has fulfilled his promise by the strength of his arm. That he accomplished our salvation. This year, would we be so gripped by this, so captivated by it, that we would just be overwhelmed and all we can do is just sing? because it's so great to burst into song, so moved by the story of our salvation that words alone couldn't capture our affections that we, like Mary, would sing. So overjoyed to be a part of the story, door holder, door holder number three, that we're just flabbergasted. I don't know why that was the only word that came to mind, but it was. <laughs> it was a weird one to come to mind. Just overwhelmed. God would use a humble servant like Mary. God would use a door holder to be a part of this story. This Christmas, would we be a church so overjoyed by who God is and what he's done that our souls would praise the Lord and our spirits would rejoice in the God, of God our Savior. So one of the things that we want to do this Advent series is create space to do exactly that, to slow down and consider the great acts of God, to be filled with joy, to reflect on those and meditate. So we're actually going to put verse 49 of this song back on the screen to once again reflect and consider on who God is and what he's done for us. And primarily that is the gospel. And yet it is so good for us to consider what are the other benefits, the other blessings that God has done in my life and to recount those in this season. So would you take a few moments Reflect, meditate on this verse and consider the great things that God has done for you. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.